Great. Good evening, everyone. Um, thanks so much to Rob and the band for leading us. It is, it is a huge privilege, isn't it, to, to worship God on this particular day. I mean, it's a privilege any day of the year. It's a privilege any Sunday of the year. But there's something special about coming um, and meeting with God's people on a day like today. It's no accident that the Jewish uh, calendar is punctuated by festivals, times of the year when the people of God were expected to just put some of the ordinary stuff behind them and to go together as families and as God's people to worship. And the Christian church has adopted a similar pattern. We have our Christmas celebrations, we have our Easter celebrations, and rightfully so, because although these events are important to us all year round, it's good once in a while just to zoom in on them and to make them the absolute focus of everything we do. And just as for the Jewish people, uh, so too for many of us in the church and outside the church, it's a family affair, isn't it? Um, Many of you, I'm sure, will have gone away and seen family or family will have come to you or maybe you've got plans tomorrow to be with family. And I wanted to introduce you to a member of my family. So this is my mum, everyone. Um, I've known her most of my life. Um, She's 93 years old until very recently. She was uh, living at home with a lot of help from uh, carers and uh, local church friends. But she reached a point, as many people of her age do, where due to various conditions, physical and mental, um, it was no longer safe for her to stay at home. So she's now safely ensconced in a care home in... Portreath in Cornwall, just a few hundred yards away from a beach that we take her to whenever we go down. Now, as you can tell from the photograph, she's uh, somewhat dentally challenged. Um, Her hearing is poor and her vision is poor beyond a few yards. Her mobility is limited to walking the corridors of the care home and she's got various other physical conditions which it would be inappropriate for me to go into this evening. On top of her physical conditions, she has a number of mental conditions as well. So uh, she will have forgotten the content of a conversation probably 30 seconds after you've had it with her. Um, And she's becoming slightly delusional, imagining things that she has done or that she could still do, uh, even though she's 93 years old and in a home. But if you ask me today how she's doing, I'd have to say she's doing pretty well. She's doing pretty well. But there have been times in my mum's life where due to other factors, um, it's been very, very dark for her to the extent that she's talked about taking her own life. And Life can be horrible sometimes, can't it? We've been thinking and praying already about the situation in Sri Lanka. There, alongside the joy of Easter, is the pain and the grief and extraordinary suffering. Life can be extremely hard. And you will know someone, I'm sure, who is struggling at the moment, whether physically or mentally or financially or relationally in some other way. Maybe you are that person who is struggling tonight. 
Maybe it's not, nothing to do with your physical condition or your mental condition. It's just the, the weight of living in the time in which we live. You know, a time in which our politicians appear to be driving us to the edge of a precipice. A time in which pretty much every other day there seems to be some report of a stabbing or a fire or something <coughs> nasty along those lines. And a time in which our planet appears to be heading towards uh, environmental catastrophe. What is the cure for all of this? What is the cure for all of this pain and all of this darkness? Well, some say there is no cure, and they say that any suggestion that there is a cure is just an exercise in denial. So I read this book recently by a couple of doctors. Uh, they have no faith in God. This is their take on um, the idea of cure. So one of them writes, a day at the hospital is not transformative. At best, I can walk out knowing that relief of suffering is what we're good at even if society needs to believe that what we're good at is cure. It's to everyone's benefit that society believes that. All of us, patients and doctors, cultivate the fiction that science conquers all, that it can provide the cures. How could God have created a world in which it can't? We need to sustain our faith in science, our paradoxical belief in its divine power. We've always had to believe that, going back to pre-Hippocratic times. I'm going to give you a potion, it will solve your problem. That statement promises some control over mortality and destiny. That's why what we do is as much shamanistic as medical, because society cannot relinquish that hope, the belief in the curative power of something, of medicine, of prayer, of diet, of therapy, of sheer expertise, of connecting with another human being, rather than acknowledge that the universe is like the eye of a dead fish, cold, uncaring, unreflective, unresponsive. Well, that's cheered us all up, isn't it? <laughs> Who wants to hear a message of no hope like that? Don't despair. Emily Coxhead is the creator of The Happy Newspaper. Has anyone heard of The Happy Newspaper? If you subscribe to the Happy Newspaper, you'll get uh, one edition every three months, and Emily's aim is to ensure that you only read positive news. So she doesn't deny the fact that, you know, it's a harsh world out there, but she says, we just hear so much of the bad stuff, let's address the balance a bit, let's have some good stuff. So she's created this publication, The Happy News, so that you can read positive, life-affirming stories. And I'm not knocking it at all. But it's just a form of relief, really, isn't it? It's just a form of relief. Is there a cure? Is there more than just relief? And into our broken world comes the Easter message and the words of Revelation 1.18. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And today, of all days, we celebrate the fact that the resurrection is the cure. It's the cure for my mum's ailments. It's the cure for our broken and violent world and our restless society and our hurting planet. And it's the cure for all of us. 
Jesus' resurrection, the fact that he is alive, is not just relief for us in our time of pain. It's not just happy news to balance out the bad news, but it's the, it's the cure for us all. We'll see why that is the case in a moment, but before we do, just a few words about Revelation and its author. So Revelation is the record of a vision given to one of Jesus' closest disciples, John, the Apostle John. John saw everything that Jesus did while he was on earth during his three years of ministry. He saw his healings, he saw his miracles. He saw him uh, turn water into wine. He saw him calm the storm. He saw all of that stuff. And he was there during the pain and the um, trial, the crucifixion and the resurrection. He saw all of that too. And he was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and God's power uh, was manifest in Jerusalem. He saw all of that, he was there, he was part of it. And he was right in the middle of it when a few years on from those events, persecution started to break out and the church began to be scattered to different places. He saw all of that and now 40 or 50 years or so later, we can't be sure, he now finds himself on the Isle of Patmos. Um, the equivalent of Robben Island uh, for his day. He was exiled, he was on his own. And looking back, no doubt, over all of these years, reflecting on what Jesus had done and that amazing, incredible start, and then the persecution and the trouble and the discouragements that followed. And it's into this context, this time of of suffering, of persecution, of likely discouragement, of likely disappointment, that Jesus appears to him in his risen, glorified state. I don't know how you imagine Jesus now. You know, often we tend to think of him as the Jesus who is walking, walking along the dusty, the dusty roads. But that's not how he is now. John sees him how he is now, as best as uh, he's able to capture it in words. The risen, glorified, Jesus, and the, the vision terrifies him. He falls at Jesus' feet as though dead. And Jesus places his hand on him and says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And it's this message that changes everything. And over the course of the book of Revelation, we see that John is given this message of hope, that even though things are dark, even though things may become darker still, yet there comes a point, a day, when God will wipe away every tear, when all the wrongs will be made right, a day when there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And it's this message of hope that is given to John and is given to the church so that they might persevere, so that brothers and sisters in places like Sri Lanka today who are grieving because of lost loved ones might persevere in the face of trouble. God doesn't just provide pain relief. He resolves the issue of pain altogether by destroying its source, the devil, its power, sin, and its consequences, suffering and death. 
And the key to all of this is Jesus Christ, the living one, the one who was dead, but is now alive forever, forever and ever. So to start off with, let's talk about how this is relevant to us personally. Because the resurrection is the source of our personal cure. The living one is the answer to my mum's condition, and to mine, and to yours, and to those you love. So writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So Jesus rising from the dead is a promise to those who have faith in him that they too will be raised with Christ at the end. The first fruits were the first agricultural produce of the year. You gather in the first fruits and it's a promise that there's more to come. There's more wheat, there's more corn, there's more whatever, barley and so on and so forth. There's more to come. This, this first bit is just the first bit. There's more to come. And Jesus is the first fruits of those who have died. Jesus came back with a glorified body and so will we if we put our faith in Christ. Jesus was raised with a body that was recognizably his, but a glorified body. And we will be raised with bodies that are recognizably ours, but glorified, perfected, if we put our faith in Christ. Paul again in Corinthians, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. So this is the promise to anyone living inside a beaten up, aging, malfunctioning body. You're not gonna get a makeover, you're not gonna get a touch up, you're not gonna get pain reduction, ultimately, but a complete replacement a perfect new model. <laughs> the old model disappears and a new model is given to you. A new heavenly body. And uh, one man, a guy called Benjamin Franklin, captured his expectation of this new heavenly body uh, in his own epitaph. This is what he wrote. The body of B. Franklin printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms. But the work shall not be wholly lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. A lovely picture. So our personal cure, the cure for our physical and mental frailties, is a new spiritual body. Imperishable, glorious, a new and more perfect edition without the shadow of sickness and sin. And it's all possible because the author is the living one who was dead and is now alive forever and ever. So that's, that's something to be glad about, isn't it? That's something to rejoice in. That's our personal hope, our personal cure. But the resurrection is not just about our personal cure, it's a global cure. 
Our communities, our nations, our societies, our very world itself is crying out for a cure. And our resurrection is the overture to the destruction of all that is wrong with this world and the restoration of our planet. 1 Corinthians again, still in 1 Corinthians 15. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, that's our personal cure. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. So Jesus wasn't raised to life just to disappear from the world scene. He was raised to life and given all authority and power so that he might reign in the new heaven and new earth which is coming. Familiar words from Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That doesn't happen yet. That's not happening yet. It's happening in part as individuals here, there and everywhere bow the knee to Christ. But there is a day coming when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. We look around us and uh, our society, our world, it has so many issues and problems, isn't it? Law and order aren't going to fix those issues. Remaining in Europe or leaving in Europe is not going to fix the issue. Reducing our carbon footprint is not going to fix the issue. These things may bring some relief, but they will never be the ultimate cure. The cure can only be a new world with a just and righteous ruler living at its head. And that new world is coming. And that head is the living one who was dead and now is alive forever and ever. So Jesus is our personal cure. Jesus is our ultimate cure. I guess one question that arises from that is, do you know him? Do you know him personally? Do you have a relationship with him yourself so that you have that hope yourself of a personal cure? But you might be thinking, well, those are fantastic promises for the future, but what about now? What about the harsh present reality that I'm living with now? Is there anything for today? And this is the glory of the gospel, that it's not just hope for the ultimate future cure, but is also help in the waiting. So to give you some examples, when things are tough, who is it that gives us the grace and the strength to keep going on and on. Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want, I can do this through him who gives me strength. Who is this one who gives us strength? It is the living one who, who was dead but is now alive forever and ever. When sorrow comes, who is it that's going to comfort the sorrowing believers in Sri Lanka? Who is it ultimately who's going to bring that comfort? Paul writes, through Christ, our comfort overflows. 
not because we remember him and by remembering him we have this warm, fuzzy feeling inside, but because Jesus actually comes to us and brings his comfort to us, the living one. One last example, where do we go when, when we're tempted and we need help to resist that temptation? The writer to the Hebrews says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. How is he able to help those? Well, because he's alive. Because he is the living one. He is able today to help us who are being tempted. So Jesus is not just a kind of hope, you know, hope for the future. We just kind of make it to the end and relief. Everything is sorted. That is true. But it's more than that. Because he's the living one, he provides the help that we need for today. The psalmist once wrote of God being an ever-present help in times of trouble. Well, if it was true then, how much more true is it now that we know Jesus Christ as the living one? It's a lovely old uh, hymn, very appropriate to Easter, that we haven't sung, unless Rob's got it up his sleeve for later. Uh, We haven't sung uh, this year, but... um, Many of you will know the words. God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living, just because he lives, because he is the living one. Life is worth the living. He is our help for today as well as our hope for tomorrow. So what difference is Easter going to make to us beyond another bank holiday tomorrow and the promise of more sunshine to come with it? Does Easter represent help for you today? When you're facing your temptations, whatever temptations they are, is Jesus the one who gives you the help that you need to resist? When you are needing comfort, for whatever reason, tomorrow, is Jesus the one who is going to provide that comfort for you? When you face your struggles tomorrow, whatever those struggles might be, who is the one who's gonna give you the strength that you need to keep on going, however tough things are? And when you open your newspaper tomorrow, or you hear the news on the radio, or you see it on the television, and you feel that despair that you're living in a world that's just gone wrong, Where is your hope for that world, this world that we live in? And maybe when you're just thinking of your own mortality and who knows how long each of us has still on this planet. But we're living with our mortality and as we get older, creakier, things start to fail. Where is our hope? Is it in the living one? W.E. Sankster was a Methodist minister. He preached in the 1900s at Westminster 
Central Hall, very well-known, respected spiritual leader and speaker of his time, a bit like a John Stott of his age. And he contracted an incurable disease that slowly caused his muscle to waste away, his voice to fail and his throat unable to swallow. He carried on in ministry right up to the point where his voice had gone and he could barely hold a pen. And just a few weeks before he died, at the age of 45, on Easter morning, he wrote a letter to his daughter. And he said this, it's terrible to wake up Easter morning and to have no voice with which to shout he is risen. But it would be still more terrible to have a voice and not want to shout. Now, I know we're not shouty people. We're from Chichester. We just just don't do that. But surely we feel it sometimes. Surely sometimes, maybe when we're on our own and nobody else is listening, you know, we're in a faraway place, maybe sometimes we feel, yeah, I can risk a shout here. But even if we don't actually vocalise it, surely if we know this if we know the living one for ourselves, we feel like that sometimes. We feel like a shout. We feel like expressing it because Jesus is the living one. He is our hope. I'm going to finish with some words from the end of Revelation. Um, Perhaps the band would like to come up as we do this. Um, And if you don't mind, perhaps we could do what we did the other week, which is stand for this particular reading. So if you wouldn't mind standing. So this is, these are some of the verses that we find at the very end of the book of Revelation, at the very end of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down to the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun 
for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever.